You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. try to do that today we say oh yeah I worship the Lord but then we also have our own idols according to the customs of the nations the world and it's so easy to do and it's such a daily challenge not to allow any idols in my life When you look up to someone who's a superstar, it's hard not to try and do everything just like them or to aspire to be that person. But as you think of it, are you looking at them with admiration or is your interest in them becoming something more like idolatry in your life? What do you spend your time thinking about and daydreaming about, visualizing how you want to be? Are you striving to become anything and everything that that person is? Today, Pastor Danny warns us that anyone can fall into that trap. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 14, as he begins his message, Avoiding Idolatry. chapter 14, Paul the Apostle uh, is traveling um, and doing ministry, he and Barnabas. Uh, They got kicked out of Iconium in the first part of chapter 14, and um, they end up in Lystra and Derbe. Verse 8 is where we pick it up. Uh, Look at it with me. Verse 8, in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to what Paul uh, listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed. That's interesting. And he called out, "Stand up on your feet." At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Well, that got everybody's attention. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language. Now we know from the passage, Paul and Barnabas they don't speak Lycaonian, so they don't know what these guys were saying. So they began to say in their own language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. We'll come back to that in a minute. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them, to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. The tearing of their clothes was a traditional Hebrew response to sacrilege or blasphemy. So they tear their clothes, run out into the crowd, shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. 
We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Right after this happens, you got to go with me, just a couple more verses. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city. Next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. You talk about a fickle crowd. <laughs> One minute, they're wanting to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Next minute, they're trying to kill him. They called Barnabas Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Zeus was the greatest Greek god. Hermes was the messenger of the gods. The Lycaonians had an ancient legend that Zeus and Hermes had come to their country disguised as mortals years before, seeking lodging. Though they had asked a thousand homes, no one would take them in. Finally, poor elderly couple welcomed them into their little cottage and shared what little they had with them. In appreciation, the gods transformed the little cottage into a temple and made the couple priest and priestess. When they died, they were immortalized by the Lycaonians. All the inhospitable homes were destroyed. So their belief in that ancient story, <laughs> they want to make sure Zeus and Hermes ever show up again. We're going to treat them right. And initially they did. And the priest of Zeus comes and, and they're going to offer sacrifices to Paul and to Barnabas. And think about this now. What an opportunity. Everywhere Paul goes, he's getting beat up, thrown in jail, trying to kill him. But here, initially, if he had just accepted their worship, he could have had the key to the city. But he didn't do that. There are two sides to the subject matter of the text. The first, resisting idolatry. The second, resisting the temptation to become an idol. What is idolatry? Most basic definition is the worship of false gods. Now, listen, before we get into it a little bit, let me tell you how easy it is to worship something or someone other than God. The apostle John, an aged, committed saint on the Isle of Patmos, uh, receives the vision of the book of Revelation. And twice, it's recorded for us at the end of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, as he's getting these tremendous um, visions and communication from these amazing angels 
the one main angel. It says in chapter 19, verse 10, at this, John says, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. As surprising as that is, when you get to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, you go down to verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. And again, he says to me, don't do it. Get up. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Listen, if the apostle John could succumb to worshiping something, someone other than God, who are we? Most of the time, recorded in the scriptures and history, people worship bad things. Now, what John did was bad, but isn't it interesting? It was a good angel. You can have a good experience. Watch out. Something from God. Be careful. But the Israelites, time and time and time and time again, they worship four main gods throughout their wilderness wanderings, throughout their history. Let me give them to you. Baal. I call him the God of seduction. It's not the only thing he lured people into, but he especially lured people into sexual sin. Now, you can fall to sexual sin just because of our own fallen nature. But Baal, he will come and he will give you extra oomph, temptation to seduce you. That's what happened to the Israelites, Numbers chapter 25. The Moabite women came out, and next thing you know, these guys are in bed with the Moabite women. Baal, I call him the god of seduction. Then there was Molech. Molech, he's the god of pleasure. Years ago, I was hearing a message, and uh, a guy was talking about the god Molech, and he called him the letter god. The letter god. NHL, NFL, NBA, etc. Whatever your passion is, your pastime that you know you're just really, really into. The God of pleasure. And then there's Mammon. I don't know if you knew this, but Mammon, the God of greed. And Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us very clearly that greed is idolatry. Mammon, the God of greed. And then there's one more. And these are not all the gods uh, in history and that the Israelites worship, but these are four of the main ones. Ashtaroth, she's the goddess of love or romance. Someone called her the soap opera god. And time and time again, you find the Israelites worshiping Baal, Molech, Mammon, Ashtaroth. Why would they do such a thing? Well, again, look where we started. John, how easy it is to worship even a good being that God created and yet not intended to be worshipped because there's only one to be worshipped, and that's God. I love what Louis Giglio 
says in his book, The Air I Breathe, about worship. He starts out right at the get-go. You, my friend, are a worshiper. There, I said it. Every day, all day long, in every place you worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. So if by chance you have only a few seconds to glance at this book, that's what it's all about. We're all worshipers created to bring pleasure and honor to the God who made us. You may not consider yourself a worshiping kind of person, but you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Should you for some reason choose not to give God what he desires, you worship anyway. Simply exchanging the creator for something he has created. Think of it this way. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever is worth most to you, you guessed it, is what you worship. He goes on to say, and we're not just talking about the religious crowd, the Christian, the churchgoer among us. We're talking about everybody on planet Earth. A multitude of souls proclaiming with every breath what is worthy of their affection, their attention, their allegiance. Everybody has an altar, and every altar has a throne. I put on here a statement that Louis Giglio gave that I memorized. I, I want to keep it in my brain. And I'll go back just before I read it. An idol is any person or thing that contends with God for my time, energy, affection, and money. Here's what Louis Giglio says. Follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, and there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. I'm going to ask you to go take a peek with me in 2 Kings. If you can find in the Old Testament, 2 Kings. One of those times when Israel had been overtaken by a foreign power, this time the Assyrians, and what was common is a foreign power would come in, deport some of the Israelites to their land, import some of their people to Israel, and that's what happened here. The king of Assyria did this, and look at what happens. Chapter 17 of 2 Kings, you go down to verse 33, they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. We try to do that today. We say, oh yeah, I worship the Lord, but then we also have our own idols. According to the customs of the nations, the world, and it's so easy to do. And it's such a daily challenge not to allow any idols in my life. God made it pretty clear. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, before you think God is selfish, listen to the whole message. You shall have no other gods before me. Another way to describe an idol, it's a deity, it's an icon, it's a hero. Star. Four people became gods in my life when I was very young. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Mainly for me, Ringo, 
I love drums. I'm a self-taught drummer. Ringo was my original inspiration as a drummer. And I not only wanted to play drums like Ringo, I wanted to have hair like Ringo, wanted to have a nose like Ringo, did pretty good there. Uh, I, I wanted to wear rings like Ringo. I'd go to Rose's Five and Dime when I was a little kid in Hartsville, South Carolina, and I would, I would buy all these little Five and Dime rings, and I'd have them all over my fingers like Ringo. I cut out cardboard, R-I-N-G-O. I wrapped the cardboard with, in those days, tin foil. That'll date you. And I put it up on my bedroom wall, sideways, going down the whole wall. Ringo. I love the Beatles. I, I idolized the Beatles. I wanted to be like them. Especially Ringo. But if I could have been any one of them, it consumed me. Now, 1986, all four Beatles traveled to northern India and studied under Guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. One of the Beatles, George, ended up diving totally headfirst into Hinduism. He would later write a song based on his Hindu beliefs, My Sweet Lord. If you know the song, you'll find near the end of the song him chanting Krishna, Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. You know what? It's a catchy tune. And he's a beetle. And I like the tune. But while I like the tune... I have to realize the belief. It's a belief in a foreign God. Not the God of the Bible. 1971, John Lennon wrote a song. He was inspired by it because he wanted to do everything he could to bring in world peace. It's called Imagine. And if you know the lyrics, you know John Lennon's belief based on the song. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Imagine there's no religion. What's my point in all this? If I had continued to idolize the Beatles, I would not only have wanted to become like them in terms of being a star, but I'd very easily adopt their beliefs. And no matter how good the song sounds, and I, I love the tune Imagine. I love, the, I love the, the sound of it, the feel of it. But when I hear the words, I go, John, come on, man. Here's what I put. I believe there's nothing wrong with appreciating, even enjoying the creativeness of people that God has gifted, people that are able to play things, write things, sing things, paint things, do things that perhaps we would love to be able to do ourselves. I put in my notes, I still enjoy some of the Beatles songs. A few years ago for my birthday, my wife gave me all the Beatles movies. It's only two good ones, Help and A Hard Day's Night, but yeah. But I put for my own self... But there are lines that I must be careful not to cross in appreciating talent, enjoying music, etc. If it leads me away from purity, 
holiness, it should not be a part of my life. If it proclaims anything unbiblical or false, I must recognize and reject it. For example, I put for me, I love the song Imagine in terms of its musical appeal and even John Lennon's sincere desire to promote peace in the world, but I reject the belief system it declares. After I became a Christian, every time I'd hear the song, Imagine, I'd pray for John Lennon. Every time I'd hear the song, My Sweet Lord, I'd pray for George Harrison. How do you keep people, things, from becoming idols? When you score the touchdown, give the glory to God. When you write the song, the song that becomes a hit, make sure it glorifies God and then give glory to God for the song. When you become successful in business, Make sure you give the glory to God because it's He that gives you the ability to produce wealth. When you have a successful ministry, make sure you give glory to God. Proverbs 27, 21 says this, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Very interesting. John chapter 12, verse 43 tells us that some people would not publicly acknowledge Jesus and really believe in him because it says they love praise from men more than praise from God. I'm almost done. But go with me quickly to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John chapter 10, fascinating passage here. And it can be confusing, and I hope it's not after we look at it just very briefly, but John chapter 10, verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus, but he said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as its very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I'm God's son? What is he talking about here? Well, he's quoting from Psalm 82. I said, God speaking, you are God's little g. You're all sons of the Most High. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, this is one of their verses. They will try to prove that Jesus is God with a little g. Can't be. Not at all. How do I know that? Next verse. Next part of the verse, or verse 7, verses 6 and 7. But you will die like mere mortals. Who? The gods with the little g. You'll fall like every other ruler. The psalm is a warning and a rebuke to humans who have been exalted in life, whether becoming a ruler or whatever. You become important. You become someone people look up to. But you're just a man. You're just a woman. You're just human. And you're going to die like everybody else. You're immortal.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he continued to walk us through the books of the New Testament. From the life of Jesus and his ministry to how the gospel spread in the early days of the church, the New Testament books offer much insight into how we're supposed to live our lives now. They're not just an interesting story or a history lesson. These things actually happened. Is this New Testament Highlights series speaking to you in a personal way? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email and tell us what your experience has been as you've listened to these teachings. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today. Here at The Living Word, we value digging into Scripture in order to learn and to grow in our personal pursuit of God. So we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue teaching the Word and reaching the world. We look forward to the next edition here on The Living Word.